Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. I've enjoyed the day. Hope you have. It's a good meal. Um, I had one soup. Did you have two soups, Mary? <laughs> Mary got two soups, so they were all good. So she had, I had two sandwiches. She had one sandwich. And, uh, but I enjoy it. It's a good time. Get to the ranch. By the way, none of this is in the 18 minutes. This is just, <laughs> this is just making announcements. So get to the ranch um, if you can. We'd love to have you there, and I think you would enjoy it. Be well worth your seeing. It's about 250 miles from this building. I think my phone says 254, and it's, um, uh, say, four and a half, five hours. It's probably less than it all depends on how you travel, but it's... Uh, takes about uh, two hours to get through Lexington, and then from there to the ranch is about an hour and 15 minutes. I'm making all of this up. Okay, you got Ephesians 6. We're going to see five things. Let's just turn, we'll stand, we'll read the four verses together. Children, verse 1. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, help us, I pray now. May this be profitable to us all. And we ask that you would enlighten our hearts. In other words, help us to see what we are looking at, I pray. And we ask this in Christ's name and for our sake. Amen. You can be seated. I mentioned this morning, did I not, that I liked your building. It's very nice. Um, you could probably, what, are there 40-something chairs in here? I think there's 50. 50? Sounds right. Okay. So uh, you've got room for expansion. It's very nice and very attractive. And you've got a place for an Airstream right out here. I don't know if you knew that or not. There's a place for an Airstream. You need to have a 30-amp service on the side of the building. You may have one now, but I would need a canoe to get to it because there's a lot of water over there. But next time we'll come, uh, we'll bring our trailer and then head on out from here somewhere else. Okay, five things that you learn from these four verses that we have here. Number one, obedience. Ephesians 2 says, beginning with verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, now listen to this, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now that's a wonderful passage, isn't it? And that great passage of exaltation is centered around the fact that Jesus was obedient. Obedience is very important. Uh, here's a young man, he's 28 years old, and he's in prison three to five years. Why? Well, somebody says it could be a bank, somebody says it could be a wreck, somebody says he could have been in a fight. Somebody says it could have been manslaughter, but it all resounds to disobedience. In other words, obedience is very important in our lives, and obedience is to be learned 
at home. So number one, obedience. Number two, I love this one, character. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. What is character? Character is the desire and ability to do what's right in spite of inward yearnings, outward pressure, or eventual outcome. Can I repeat that? Character is the desire and the ability to do what is right in spite of inward yearnings, outward pressure, or eventual outcome. In other words, a person of character does what's right because it's right. He just does what's right because it's right. No matter what he wants, no matter what he is pressured to do, no matter what the outcome, a man of character is a man who does what's right. Now that's learned in the home. In other words, character is learned in the home. And I would say, if it's not learned in the home, it could be learned, but it's difficult. Uh, go back to obedience. Could obedience be learned someplace other than the home? Well, yes, the Marine Corps. Yeah, but it is to be learned in the home, and that's where it's best. So you have character, you have obedience. Number three, marriage. Marriage. Where do our kids learn about marriage and the family? Where do they learn about that? Well, the answer is in the home. Where do you learn about marriages in the home? Probably uh, the mistakes we make and the good things that we do um, sort of harken back to the way we were raised. So sometimes we do things that are not good because maybe dad and mom did things that were not good. Sometimes we do things that are very good because dad and mom did things that were very good. The point is we learn it at home. Um, in my lifetime, when I was younger, most everybody understood corporal punishment. Remember spanking. Most everybody understood that. When I was a kid um, in school, you could get spankings in school. So in the uh, 50s, if you're in grade school and you misbehave, you could be taken to the principal's office and be spanked. And uh, I was never spanked at school because I knew that if I was spanked at school, I'd be spanked at home. And there's no there's no benefit in double dipping. So I, I uh, was careful not to get spanked in school. But think of spanking in school today. Think of the litigious society in which we live and how impossible that would be. Well, that's sad, but it's sad that it's often abandoned in the home. And the way you learn about the home is in the home. Um, that's the way you learn about love. That's where you learn about, um, and nobody here will be offended by this way. It's where you learn about smooching. You learn that at home. You don't learn that from reading some book or watching something on television. You learn love and, to a certain extent, um, physical response because of dad and mom. Didn't your dad and mom ever hold hands? Mine did. It's the old time. Dad was forever hugging mother or... Um, um, yeah, the word would be smooching. That would be a good word. I remember once walking in the kitchen when I was about seven. Never forget this. And dad and mother were standing in the middle of the kitchen and they were smooching. And I, me I remember this because I, I walked in like this and I saw dad and I was, oh yes, yeah, fine dad and mom. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> you see, Brother Rice, they weren't smooching. Your dad was a preacher. And they were No people. I was there. You weren't. They were smooching. So the point I'm making is 
what a healthy environment to see some expression of love. It's in the home, see? So you learn about marriage in the home. Um, if your parents always fought about money, you probably do. If your mother ever hit your dad over the head with a purse, <laughs> then in your home that may happen. You learn about marriage in the home. So number one, you have obedience, and number two, character, number three, marriage. We saw this this morning, so we won't have to spend a lot of time here, but respect. You know, we hear a lot about our institutions failing us in teaching respect, but I really, that all comes back to the home. I mean, we ought to have institutions that do, and we should have, we should have children uh, being taught to respect their elders, but if they do dad bond, they will everybody else. Kid comes to camp, my son Will says this. Kid comes to camp and he says, um, you can't tell me to do that, you're not my daddy. Well, let me ask you a question. If you can't tell him to do that because you're not his daddy, do you think his daddy can tell him to do that? I doubt it because if he were submissive to his dad, he would be to any authority. That's what the Bible says. You know, Romans says um, that um, we are to submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, and it mentions their government. Um, and they are, uh, they are limit. Government is on evil. And that all comes because of learning respect in the home. So in the home, we learn obedience. In the home, we learn character. In the home, we learn about marriage. In the home, we learn about respect. And this is one of my favorite ones. In the home is where you learn about success. Now listen to this. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment promised. Listen, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. In other words, things will go well with me if I live in respectful obedience. And that's something that's learned in the home, success. What is, what is success? What would you consider to be successful? Well, somebody says, he makes $250,000 a year. He is a success in business. Well, I would agree with that. I'm not fussing with that. Or um, um, they have a nice home. They've been successful. Or um, their kids are sweethearted kids. They're successful. See, I think all these things would be true, but generally success is doing what God wants you to do, living in obedience to that, and then reaping the rewards thereof. So that's learned in the home. You know, you learn success in the home. Uh, it's interesting. Galatians 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in what kind of doing? Well doing. For due season you shall reap if you faint not. Now, Galatians 6 does say that if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. In other words, what you sow to the flesh is not eternal. So you earn or you work or you comb your hair, you wash your face, whatever. All of that is um, not eternal. It comes to an end. 
Well, when you sow to the Spirit, you have the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's not talking about salvation. Um, you already have life because you're sowing life. So you already have life in your sowing, and from that you reap things that are eternal in value. And Galatians 6 is not saying primarily that you cannot get by with your sin. It does mention that, but that's not what it's saying. Galatians 6 is saying you cannot get by with living right. Because if you do what's right, you'll reap what you've sown. That's a wonderful truth. See, you invest, and, and it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. In other words, a lot of times we expect that people who do wrong will pay the price of doing wrong. But sometimes we don't expect that if we do what's right, we will reap the benefits of it. You can go to church, but it doesn't mean anything. You can, you can spank your kids, but it doesn't mean they'll turn out right. You can, you can give, but you may, uh, you may be broke. You know, we, we don't trust God that living for the Lord and obeying Him brings in our lives genuine progress, or the better word would be success. So, um, here's we've all heard this until we're bored at hearing it. But here's a guy that's famous for whatever reason, and he makes $500,000 plus a year, and he's married for the third time. Now, I'm serious about this. Should we consider him a success? Here's a guy um, who's been married four times. He's got six children, and um, all six have been into drug rehab, and one's in prison, and three of the remaining uh, five have been divorced, and yada, yada, yada. And, and yet this person is held up as a success. Now, obviously, you're not a success if you're not a success at home. I'm not opposed to somebody making um, well or doing well with their job. None of that bothers me at all. Uh, power, uh, power to them. May they make more and do better. That's not the point. The point is, how empty is life? And I'm serious about this. If you have a million dollars but not a wife that loves you, are not kids that respect you or honor you. Um, you know, um, the guy the guy whose wife and children uh, make up a wonderful family considers himself to be wealthy and successful. And that'd be true, seeing that's learned at home. In other words, I want my kids to understand God's standard of success. And God's standard of success is not the world's. Now, they're not mutually exclusive. So, could it not it be true that a man loves his wife and she loves her husband and their kids are well behaved and they love the Lord and they serve God and he still makes a million dollars? Isn't that possible? You don't have to be, you don't have to be poor to be godly. I, I'm more technical on people. People take Luke 16, came to pass that the beggar died, was carried with the angels to Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in hell with his eyes. And there are people who think that uh, the reason the rich man went to hell was because he was rich. And the idea is, you, you, you've had yours, now you're in hell. This poor guy, he, he never got anything, now he's in heaven. Well, that's fine, except there are two rich men in Luke 16. 
the man who simply called, there was a man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That's the rich man. But there's another rich man in the passage. You know who he was? Abraham. When he got to hell, he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may get the tip of his finger and water and cool my, my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham, who is known as the friend of God. Abraham, who had 280-something servants he was able to arm to go and help his nephew Lot. Remember that? So Abraham was very, if I had 280 people working for me whose uh, livelihood was dependent upon me, wouldn't I be considered a successful businessman? I think so. Okay. So Abraham was wealthy beyond belief, had many flocks, uh, many servants, slaves, many people whose lives were dependent upon him. Very, very wealthy man, friend of God. So the deal is not, success doesn't come because you're wealthy or because you're not wealthy. Success comes when you understand the importance of submitting to God and doing what God wants and obeying in the home. So I could have successful children, couldn't I? Even if they, they didn't make a bunch. Uh, let me tell you this, and my time is gone. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, I was at lunch with my pastor and his wife and his son and his three daughters. Two of his daughters work in the ministry of the ranch. And I don't know why I asked this question. <laughs> I was asking the kids. I don't even know why I asked it. What do you think I make a month? I said to them. And Emily, which is one of the twin daughters, she's 20 pounds. Would she be 20? Emily said, well, you make more than I do because <laughs> I work at the ranch. She said, so you make more than I do. Well, so uh, am I more successful than Emily? I don't think so. Um, the first person, I'm not sure I make more than she does. But if I did, Bob Jones Sr., an evangelist who lived in the last century, used to say, success is finding the will of God for your life and doing it. And that's true. So in my home, I can learn obedience. In my home, I can, I can learn uh, reverence or respect. In my home, I can learn um, the importance of um, uh, character. In my home, I can learn about marriage. And in my home, I can learn about success. We should, don't you think? Father, help us to do exactly that, to learn these things in our homes and help us to be an example of success to our children and our families to be an example to our communities, I pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.